toward the ends of your Bibles. Uh, if, your, if your Bible says uh, Creston C-H-R-R-E-F Church on the front, it's on page 1230. Um, so it's Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. One of the things we've talked about is how much Paul seems to just love this church. And uh, you see that right away in the first thing he says. He says, therefore, my dear friends, or you can translate that, my, my dear beloved, uh, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. You remember he's in prison, so he's separated from them. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. In order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we have kind of slowed down in our Philippians uh, series to look at one of the most famous sections in the whole Bible, Uh, the verses just before this one, verses 6 to 11, about how Jesus emptied himself, about how Jesus died for us, and how he is now exalted, and how he will reign over the earth. Someone told me this week that This section is one of the most meaningful passages to her faith. It's in the top two, she said. And it really didn't surprise me at all. Uh, Verses 6 to 11 are crammed with whole books worth of theology into just like a few, just a few verses. It's, It's one of the most famous passages in the Bible. And so it's not surprising that in the very next verse, our verses today, Paul jumps from one of the most famous sections in the whole Bible to one of the most famous debates in the whole Bible. Verses 12 to 13. The question that's raised here for every commentator working on this is, is the most important thing for a Christian what the Christian does for God or what God does for the Christian? And so on the one hand, you have verse 12 where he famously says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And of course, we all know that being a Christian takes work. It is this awesome, lifelong task. I've learned this especially from our 100-year-olds and our 90-year-olds in this church. Being a Christian means that you are constantly working at your faith. You wrestle with it. You, You struggle with what it means for your life, and and you never stop trying to get it right. So on the one hand, being a Christian means you're always working on your faith, but on the other hand, it is grace. And so you've got verse 13. 
Just as soon as he's told them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, he says, for it is God who works in you. So all the effort, all the struggle, that's really God working in you. And so the debate rages. How much is it God? How much is it us? And this week I read all these articles and I was reading all these different books sort of wrestling with this debate. Is it us? Is it God? And I actually had a pretty good sermon about that, all kind of ready to go. But as I kept working on it, it occurred to me, we've kind of covered that ground, I feel like, as a church. (laughs) And I think we all pretty much know the answer to that question. And the answer is yes. Uh, Is it us or is it God? The answer is yes. Yes, it's us and yes, it's God. And we all kind of understand that there's this mystery built into this and it probably will never be quite resolved. And, And the real question that was weighing on my mind all week was, now what? So it's us and so it's God. What does that actually mean for my life? How do I live now? And this is why this passage today is so interesting to me. So Paul has just taken us through this this epic theology. Verses 6 to 11. Then he's kind of restated the terms of this important debate. Verses 12 and 13. Where do we go from here? Verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. One scholar I read this week said that verse 14 is like Paul has used a cannon to kill a housefly. Uh, It's like all this buildup, right? Like this great theology and like this epic debate. And the ethical payoff is stop complaining. I mean, Paul has like this... He's like, he's been set up. Like, he could have gone big here. Uh, he, he could have told us to go change the world and, like, go live sacrificial lives and, and go, like, spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Like, his setup was set up just for that. But instead of going big, he really goes kind of small. He's worried about complaining and arguing. Of all the things he could have told us to do. That's it. I mean, it sounds like the kind of problem we resolve in kindergarten, right? It's like, did he really need all that build-up just for that? It's been thinking about that all week. And the more I've thought about it, actually, the more it's actually made some sense to me. Uh, You might not believe this, but uh, sometimes people complain around here. I mean, none of you, of course. I mean, other people complain. Um, and, and I've found that when complaints come up in church, it's, it usually goes something like this. So, Bill is mad at Tom. Um, and I don't know, maybe Tom promised he'd wash Bill's car or something, and he didn't do it. So, Bill is mad at Tom. So, what Bill does is he tells Harry about it. Uh, he's like, Harry, can you believe Tom? And what a slacker. And so now Bill is saying bad things about Tom to Harry. And now poor Tom can't figure out why both Bill and Harry are mad at him. We sometimes call this creating a triangle. uh, Where you don't deal with conflicts or complaints in a straight line. 
Uh, instead, you rope someone else into it, and you create a triangle. And I think you mostly do this because you don't really want to fix the problem so much as you just want somebody else to be as unhappy about it as you are. This is usually how we handle complaints, I've found, in churches. But here's the thing about this approach. First of all, it pretty much never works to actually fix the problem. And second, it creates a whopper of a new problem, which is that it makes it much harder for the church to be the church. It's not that you can't say negative things in church. Um, I think it's important for us to be able to be critical with each other. But you've got to find the right setting, you've got to find the right time, and you've got to do it with the right person. Because this is my experience of these triangles. So in my experience, a lot of times when I'm mad at someone, or I have a complaint against them, in my mind it's very black and white. Uh, so I'm right, of course, um, and, and they're wrong, until finally you're actually interacting with them, you're actually talking with them about it. And you realize, and you all know what I'm talking about, this experience, you realize, oh yeah, there's like this whole world of stuff going on in their life that you had either forgotten about or um, that you're just learning about. So you find out, well, they've got all this stress at work, their kid is struggling in school, their mom had to go back into the hospital. But see, I'm not going to learn any of that about Tom if I'm just complaining to Harry, right? On the other hand, if I go to Tom directly, he might still be wrong, he might still need to change, my car still needs to get washed, but now I'm in a position to love him in a way that I really couldn't before. And I think this is why Paul brings up complaining at this critical moment. Because you see, when Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that famous line, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it's plural. So it's not me working out my salvation over here and you working out your salvation over there. It is us working out our salvation. Now, I know that it's pretty common to hear Christians talking about how you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I'm actually, I'm not against that. I think that's probably a pretty helpful way to talk about faith. But one of the things I've observed is if you talk mostly about having a personal relationship with Jesus, you can have the impression that so long as it's you and Jesus, you're okay. You don't need anybody else. So long as it's me and Jesus, you know, then I can have my personal relationship with Him and everything's fine. But if you ever actually read the Bible, you find that like, that almost couldn't be further from the truth. The life of a Christian just cannot be done on its own. So the wrestling that we talked about, the struggling, the, the living intentionally of working out your salvation, it cannot be done by yourself. We work it out together, and we need a community for that. And so when you spout off about how, you know, I don't like that song, or I don't like his tie, or I don't like that sermon, you set this tone and it's not that we don't have bad sermons around here or even bad ties, right? We can talk about that. But Paul, I think Paul understands something about human beings, which is this. He knows, he knows how good it feels to complain. 
It feels awesome. It feels so good. And, and he knows also how small our worlds and our perspective tends to be. He knows we very seldom see a bigger picture beyond just our own lives. And so we assume that, you know, if I don't like that song, nobody does. And if I didn't get anything out of that sermon, nobody did. Right? And if I'm distracted by that tie, everyone is. But Paul says Christians need a bigger picture. We need to see that it's not all about me, it's not all about you. We need to work it out together. Complaining and arguing the way that we usually do it, it's not going to help the church be the church. Because it's not going to help any of us work out our salvation. I was actually thinking about this as it relates to technology, which if you've all been a part of this church for a while, you know that this is like my favorite thing to complain about. Um, I'm always like griping about technology and smartphone this and tablet that. Um, I I could complain about it all day long. Um, But the truth is, if you talk to most people about their technology and the way that they use it, you will find that they feel kind of like they're stuck. Um, They're not sure it's really making their life any better. They suspect it's maybe even making things worse at least some of the time, but they're not really sure that there's anything they can even do to stop it or, or to get out of it. And, and so I read this article last week in The Atlantic, and it was talking about this spike in mental illness diagnoses among teenagers. Maybe you saw this. Um, and, and the article, for what it's worth, attributes almost the entire spike to, to technology, to, especially to smartphone use. Um, And they talk about how kids are lonely and they're isolated because they don't hang out anymore, like in person with like real people. Um, They just text and chat like all day and all night long from their beds. And it occurs to me, we need to get past just like complaining about technology and we need to find a way to work out our salvation as it relates to technology. And we're going to need each other for that. So, I heard this week about uh, groups of parents who are like committing to keep their homes screen-free, like for the first like ten years of their kids' lives. And um, I heard about another group that's trying to do like no smartphones before high school. It's it's what I'm talking about, and I don't really care about what the age is, but like the point is like. We can't do this on our own, at least not very well. I mean, just go ahead and try to take a a smartphone away from a second grader and just see how well that goes. Um, It it will not go well, right? Especially if that second grader, all that second grader's friends, if they all have smartphones too, right? We We need wisdom for this. Frankly, we need backup if we're going to work out our salvation. Which brings me to the line about shining like stars in our passage today. Um, Sometimes what people think that's saying is that uh, the world needs to see how like glittering and virtuous Christians are. We're going to shine. The world will notice. Like, ooh, those Christians, they're so good. Um, But you've got to remember, this was 2,000 years ago that he's writing this. And I'm sure 2,000 years ago, people just 
they looked up at the stars and they just admired how beautiful they were. But mostly in the ancient world, why did people want stars that shined? They want them for navigation, right? It's the way that you find your way around. If you can see the stars, you know which way is north. You know which way is home. Stars that shine, what they're good for, is they're good for helping you find your way. So I don't think it's so much that people are supposed to look at Christians and say, ooh, they're so much better than us. I think they're supposed to think, oh, that person seems to know how to get around in life. That person seems to know how to navigate life. That person seems to be on to something. See, when Christians work out their salvation together, even if they're just paying attention to these little things like uh, how we express our differences or, or how we're going to handle smartphones, like we can show this better way to live, better way to navigate life. Now, to be honest, I don't expect this to be easy. Paul says working out our salvation is done with fear and trembling. I would expect this to be difficult. You know, I, there are parts of our lives, at least I can say there are parts of my life, we'd really prefer not to work out our salvation in. Um, there are parts of our lives that we just like the way that they are right now. Sometimes we start working out our salvation and we find ourselves in a position where our next step is sacrifice or even sometimes suffering. But I want to end by giving you Paul's perspective on the challenge that's set before Christians. So we've said before in this series that Paul has suffered a lot for living out his faith. He's sacrificed, he's served. But look what he says in verse 17. So he suffered for living out his faith. He's in prison. Eventually he will be executed for his faith. But he says, you know, if my sacrifice, if my service has helped my fellow Christians work out their salvation, he says, I will consider it joy. He will consider his sacrifice and his service joy. And I think that right there is the bigger picture. Those are the words of a person who realizes that the claims of verses 6 to 11, they don't just sound good. They are good. It's not just that he'd like them to be true. He knows that they are true. And if Jesus loves you enough to have died for you, if he is powerful enough to defeat all your enemies, then the sacrifice and service and even suffering that we might encounter as we work out our salvation in him, it will hardly be worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would help us as we seek together to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We thank you that it is you who is doing the work in us, but Lord, we know that it still feels like work to us. It still takes effort on our part. Lord, I pray that things like complaining and arguing would find their proper place in this community. 
so that the things that divide us or the things that annoy us or the things that don't go the way that we want wouldn't be things that prevent us from helping each other in this much greater task as we seek to help each other to grow in, in our faith, as we seek to work out our salvation, not alone, but with each other. Lord, break down those things that divide us, those differences that make it really hard to relate with one another and help us to, to love one another and in loving one another to spur each other on in following you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.